So let's invite him to speak. Oh, great God, thank you that you are not a silent God, but that you speak. You've given us your word, and what a treasure it is. And God, I thank you that through your word, you illuminate the darkness. By the power of your spirit, you use your word to cut through the things in our lives that need to go. Lord, you cut off all of the, all of the branches that don't bear fruit. Uh, Lord, you use your word like a flashlight to expose things in our lives that don't belong there. And God, I just invite you today to, to use your word in a powerful way to build up your church. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that I have as your servant to get to study and to, to write and to draft. And Lord, that's always a joy for me. And this week was really difficult for me. And Lord, so I just surrender myself to you, Lord. I recognize I'm just your servant. I fall short all the time. I'm thankful for the grace that I have in Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that this is his church and this is his day and this is his word and I'm asking for the help of your spirit that the word would go forth in power. Lord, so bless this time, I pray. Let it be clear. Um, Lord, let it be powerful. And only you can do this. So God, we surrender to you. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. We believe that. We pray this in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1 as we start our new series. And um, as we do that, I just want to take a moment to thank the Reeds for just the beautiful display that they've done for us on the stage. I'm so thankful for their help. Yeah. And as you're finding Acts chapter 1 in your Bible, I just want to invite you to think for a moment about how, how wonderful and odd this gathering is. And some of you are like, I think about how odd this gathering is all the time. And I, I, don't, mean, I don't mean the things that we do. It, it is odd that a hundred adults have willingly come to a sing-along this morning. Like, if you're not a Christian, that's not something the world does. But I want you to think about how wonderful and odd just the nature of this gathering is. That we are here in 2022 in Aurelia, Ontario, worshiping Jesus. Jesus ministered for about three years. Have you ever thought about this? On the other side of the world, in a very small geographic area, right? In Jerusalem and Galilee and, and Judea and Nazareth. Like this, he's, you could look at it on a map and draw a little circle around it. Jesus was in a very isolated place 2,000 years ago, ministering for three years. And yet here we are 2,000 years later, worshiping him, glorifying him. There was no internet. There was no newspaper. And on top of that, the message that Jesus proclaimed, the message of the resurrected Savior, was fiercely opposed by the world. Right? Jesus was crucified on a cross, and even that wasn't unique in the sense that thousands of people would have been crucified that year by the Romans. But three days later, something happened. Three days later, Jesus walked out of the tomb. And for 40 days, he revealed himself to his disciples. His disciples who, by the way, had scattered upon the crucifixion. He finds some of the disciples back in their boat, picking up their fishing trade. Jesus was crucified, and the world went on as if nothing had changed. But then three days later, everything changed. And here we are, 2,000 years later, and we're still talking about worshiping, delighting in Jesus. And I don't know if we've ever stopped to think about how odd that is and wonderful that is. How did it happen? Well, the book of Acts is, is written, in a sense, to answer the question of how that happened. It was written by Luke. Luke was a, a young man who, who traveled with the Apostle Paul as a missionary. 
He would have spent countless hours with the apostles, with the disciples, hearing all of the stories of what Jesus had done. He would have witnessed the stories that we're going to read in Acts. He would have witnessed them as an eyewitness. In Colossians 4, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Colossae and tells them that Luke's here with me in prison. He's ministering to me. He says hi, because the church in Colossae knew him. That Luke is the one who's written this. And in fact, it's the same Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And that's important for us to understand because Luke and Acts were written together. We read them separately, but they were written as a unit. Which is why in verse 1 of Acts, Luke writes, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Well, the first book that he's referring to is the Gospel of Luke. And they would have been together. So because that's the case, if we want to read the introduction to the book of Acts, we actually need to flip all the way back to the beginning of of Luke. So if if you have your Bible open, keep your finger in Acts chapter 1 because we're going to be there. But then I want you to flip back a few pages to Luke chapter 1. And I'm going to read to you from verses 1 to 4. And if you're thinking, I'll never get there in time, try and get there anyways because we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Luke a lot today. It'll be helpful for you to find that in your Bible. So here is Luke's introduction to this whole package of Luke-Acts. He writes, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 1, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for time past, to write an orderly account for you. That's what this is, an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Right there we have the explanation for why we have Luke-Acts in our Bible. That you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. He's writing to a, a believer named Theophilus. A believer just like you or me. He's writing to this believer and he says, I want you to know. And Luke's a physician. He's a detail-oriented man. He says, I want you to know how this happened. Right? We were just asking, how did this happen? Luke is saying, lean in. Lean in close. Let me tell you how this happened. That's what we have here in the book of Acts. To that end, I want to invite you to look with me to Acts chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 to 5 as we begin our time here. Hear now God's holy, inspired, inerrant, living, active word to us today. In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days, speaking to them about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as we begin into this book, chapter 1 of Acts really functions as a transitional chapter. Again, because we're going to remember that Luke and Acts were written together. Chapter 1 is the transition between the two. Luke, you can imagine, he's building a bridge between the life and ministry that, that Jesus did when he was with us to the ministry that's going to be accomplished through the Holy Spirit-empowered church. And in chapter 2 of Acts, we read about Pentecost, where God pours out His Spirit and empowers His church for mission. And we want to rush ahead there. I get that. I want to rush ahead there. But we can't because Luke says there's some things that you need to see before you jump ahead. 
And that's what he's doing. In verse 1 to 11, in particular, he zooms in on the ascension of Christ. The ascension is when Jesus ascended to the Father and took his seat on the throne. We don't talk a lot about this in the church, right? We talk about Palm Sunday uh, year after year, and we talk about Good Friday, of course, and Easter. Um, but here, he, he says, uh, the ascension is really important. And so he, he causes us to lean in. And I know it's important because at the end of his gospel, he just told us the story of the ascension. Like, if you look at the end of, of the Gospel of Luke, he has a whole account where he talks about the ascension, Jesus ascending to heaven. And now here in Acts, which is written together, he repeats that story. If you, if you would look at these in their original composition, they're back to back, the same story. Why is that? Because there's something here that we're meant to see. So what are we meant to see? That's the question we're asking this morning. What are we meant to see? I've decided to take the first 11 verses and to break it down, and we're going to just look at the first five verses. Because again, as I was wrestling through this week, I thought, there's so much here that we, we really should see, and I, I don't want to rush any of it. We're going to zoom in on verses 1 to 5. We're going to make three observations of the text, and we'll pull out some practical implications along the way. First, Luke means for us to see a reminder of Jesus' continued presence. So look again at verses 1 to 2. Read closely. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. When you read that carefully, it almost sounds like Luke has made a mistake. He describes his first composition as the book of what Jesus began to do. And yet that first compilation ends with Jesus ascending to heaven. His first book literally ends with Jesus leaving. And he says here, that was the book about what he began to do. Well, what? Is this a typo? No, it's not a typo at all. In fact, it's hugely important. Luke understands, and he wants us to understand, that while Jesus is no longer physically present with us, nevertheless, he is still at work in the world today. Let me just repeat that. While Jesus is no longer physically present with us, he is still at work in the world today. Well, you say, well, how is he at work in the world today? Answer, through his spirit-empowered church. In Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul tells us that Jesus is the head of the church, the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We are the body of Christ. Right? We use this language, don't we? We are the fullness of Him. We, church, are the manifestation of Jesus to the world. And when you really think about that, it is sobering, isn't it? Let's not rush past this. The church doesn't always look like Jesus. Do we? The church often looks like the world. The church sometimes looks like a fight club. The church sometimes looks like the devil himself. Let's see this. What a tragedy it is when we lose sight of this. Do we not understand that we are the fullness of Him who fills all in all? Very practically, for many people here in our city, the only glimpse they will ever have of Jesus is what they see in us. If we understood that, that would change us, wouldn't it? A lot of the nonsense that we tolerate in our midst, in ourselves, we would, we would let that stuff go, wouldn't we? Luke wants us to see this before we jump ahead. He draws us in in his very first verse. Commentator I. Howard Marshall notes, by writing in this way, 
Luke has emphasized the unity between the story of the ministry of Jesus and the story of the beginning of the church. So the gospel tells us what Jesus began to do and teach. Acts relates what he continued to do and teach through the agency of his witnesses. So think about the implications of this for a moment. Jesus is just as present with us today as he was with his disciples when they ministered in Galilee. Do you believe that? Okay, let me just... Jesus is present with us today. Do we believe that? Like, Because we... Yeah, I, I believe it here. But boy, I've been anxious all week trying to write this sermon. You know, do, I, do I believe this? That Jesus is with us today. I'm, str- I'm like, oh, what am I going to do in this sermon? This is going to be a disaster. Everybody's counting on me. No, they're not. <laughs> Jesus is with us. And Jesus, to be clear, wanted us to see this before he left, before he ascended to heaven. You remember the last thing he said? In Matthew's Gospel, he gives us the Great Commission. All authority on heaven and earth have been given to me. Go, therefore, into all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Wow, that is a horrifying assignment, isn't it? And behold, eyes up, look at me. That sounds intimidating, right? Daunting? Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I'm I'm not done. I'm just getting started, and I'm with you, so let's go. The disciples needed to be reminded of this, because we're going to see next week when we get back into it, that uh, Jesus ascends, and the disciples just stand there staring at heaven. Who knows how long they were there? The angels had to come and say, what are you doing staring at heaven? Get, get going, right? He's with you. Go. Move. Jesus wants us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that He was and is and always will be until eternity with His church. He's with us. We don't always see Him, but He's with us. We don't always feel His presence, but He is with us. G. Campbell Morgan gives us this helpful reminder. When we gather in worship today, we do not do so in memory of a dead leader, but in the real presence of a living Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Therefore, the book of Acts is not the story of how the church picked up after Jesus left. The book of Acts is the story of how Jesus picked up His church and continued the mission. That's what we're going to be seeing. And that's not a minor detail. That's why we can't brush by this. Luke wanted us to see this, so we we see it, church? We need to see it. All right, we need to see something else now. Second, we're meant to see 40 days that changed the world. I love this. Look again at verse 3. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now there's a lot we can say about the kingdom. We're going to see this all through Acts. We're going to have to put a pin in that and deal with that as we move forward. But for now, I want you to see that this verse summarizes what Jesus accomplished between his resurrection and his ascension. And as I say that, some of you have never thought about this before. When Jesus rose from the grave, you know, he didn't immediately ascend to heaven, right? Some of us, we've never really connected the dots. The Bible tells us there were 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension. What was he doing for 40 days? Have we thought about this? Pretty amazing. Those 40 days were hugely significant. I would argue those 40 days changed the world. I say that because the disciples that we saw before that 40-day span looked nothing like the men that we meet in the book of Acts after that 40-day span. Entirely different. One commentator observes, after they encounter the risen Jesus, a new light will shine through the same eyes. 
A new tone will come into the same voices. A new atmosphere will be generated by the same presences. Peter will be the same man, and yet absolutely changed. Which is good news, because when you read through the Gospels, you often walk away thinking, boy, these disciples are nothing to write home about. Like when we worked through the Gospel of Mark however many years ago, often we would read an account from the Gospels, and we'd read about the disciples and just shake our heads. Like, what, what were they doing? Cutting off people's ears, right? They're falling asleep when Jesus invites them to pray with them through the night. Three times they fall asleep. Time after time, Jesus teaches them lessons, and time after time, they miss it. Marianne, forget the slide that I gave to you. Um, I'm going to use something else. If you've got your finger in Luke, I want you to flip ahead to Luke 18. So here's Luke's account of, of the disciples. He's honest about where they were at and what they understood. And in Luke 18, verses 31 to 34, here are the men that we meet before the ascension. Verse 31 of, of Luke 18. And taking the twelve, Jesus said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished, for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them. They did not grasp what was said. They, they didn't see. They don't get it. They, time after time, Jesus would teach them these lessons and they just couldn't, they couldn't connect the dots. They're, they're blind to this. You know, they've spent their whole life anticipating the Messiah. They've got a whole idea of who He is and what He's going to do and they can't see through that to see what's right in front of their eyes. And that's a problem, right? It, that would be a problem if they were average Joes. That, that, if, like, if there are people like us who just they are struggling to understand, well, that's a problem because we want to understand. But, but they weren't average Joes, so actually it was an enormous problem. These were going to be the future teachers of the church. These are the ones who are going to be entrusted with the gospel message when Jesus goes. They are going to be the stewards of the truth, but they don't yet understand the truth. And that is an enormous problem. Jesus' ascension, when He ascends to heaven... That would have been the end of the story were it not for these 40 days that changed the world. Following the resurrection, Jesus spent 40 days appearing at various times in various ways to His disciples. Encountering them. Meeting them in their need. Letting them touch His wounds. You think of doubting Thomas. Like Thomas. Every time we see Thomas in the Scriptures, he's, he's doubting. He's not so sure. He, Thomas is the guy who just doesn't he struggles with faith. Jesus appears to him, lets him touch the wounds. Jesus appears to his disciples. He proves his resurrection. He comes to them and he eats food to prove that he's physical, like he's physically risen from the grave. And most importantly, he opens the scriptures for them and helps them to see him on every page. So again, if you're in Luke, you can flip ahead to Luke verse, chapter 24. And in verse 27, we see Jesus, and after the resurrection, he appears to two of his disciples as they're walking on the road to Emmaus. And in verse 27, we read, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Right, so Jesus now, he, he walks them through the text, 
and he helps them to see the truth. He starts at the very beginning. He starts at Genesis, and he shows them how he is on every page. You can flip ahead. We don't have a slide for this, Marianne, but verses 44 to 45, it says, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Like Things like what we just saw earlier. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And that changed everything. It changed everything. Suddenly now, the teachers of the church, suddenly now, those who are going to be stewards of the truth have eyes to see the truth. And they see that Jesus is on every page of their Bible. When we think about the book of Acts, we think about miracles and signs and wonders. Rightfully so. We're going to see a lot of those. But when we think of the book of Acts, do we also think of long biblical sermons? We should. Did you know that that almost one-third of the book of Acts is devoted to long biblical sermons? I. Howard Marshall notes that Acts is the story of the triumphant progress of the Word of God. So let's pull out an, an implication for us today. If we want to be used by the Lord to reach the world, then we can't be skipping Bible study. We can't be shortchanging our time in the Word of God. In order for the Word to go forth in power, the Word must be known. These men needed to be taught before they could be of any use. And the same is true for you and I today. If we're going to be of any use in the world, then we need to have an encounter with Jesus. And we need Him to teach us His truth. And we need to learn how to see our Savior on every page of Scripture. I wonder if there are some of us here today who would receive the same rebuke that Paul gave to the Corinthian church. Here's what he said to them. He said, But I, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. I wonder if there aren't some of us here today who have been living off of spiritual milk for too long. I want you to hear this in love, if that's you. Maybe there's no one here today who's feeling that, but if the Holy Spirit's pressing that on you and you're saying, yeah, that's me, hear this in love. You're not an infant anymore. It's time to ditch the diaper. If you want to be used by the Lord to lead men and women, your children even, into the truth, then you need to know His Word. So let's think of some baby steps. So like, what do we do? So I leave here today, I'm feeling conviction, like I want to grow in this, what can I do? Don't ever underestimate the value of just one small step in the right direction. Here are some small steps you could consider. How about just get a reading plan? Have a plan for when you wake up tomorrow, I am going to read this because I've got my reading plan. Or, or maybe you're a relational. Find an accountability partner. Turn to the person next to you or behind you and say, I need to do this. I need you to text me. Check and see how I'm doing. Buy some highlighters if you're a nerd like me. You know, get, get your tools ready. Set the alarm now, 30 minutes prior to what you would have set it for in the past. Leave the milk for the infants and get God's Word into you so that God can spread His Word to the world through you. As we hear Peter's sermon at Pentecost and Stephen's speech before the Sanhedrin and Paul's sermon on Mars Hill, let's thank God for the crash course in biblical theology that was given to these disciples. Let's thank God for the 40 days that changed the world. 
The word went forth. And that's why we exist here today. But that's not the only reason we exist. The word went forth, and it went forth in power. And that's the third and final thing we're going to see this morning. A promise of Holy Spirit power. I can imagine, so I grew up, I grew up Pentecostal. I can imagine that for some of you who have a more charismatic background, you're sitting there thinking, this is the first sermon in the book of Acts, and we're talking about Bible studies? <laughs> Leave it to the Baptist pastor, right? You've, way to miss it. No, I won't apologize for my love of Bible studies. I won't. But let me be clear. I understand, and I wholeheartedly agree, that there is no power in our study of the Word apart from the Holy Spirit. There's no power in our Bible study. There's no power in our teaching, in our lectures. There's no power in our private time apart from the Holy Spirit. It has been said, one might as well try to catch sunbeams with a fish hook as to lay hold of God's revelation unassisted by God's Holy Spirit. This is a spiritual book. And so, maybe some of you, some of you, when you were an unbeliever, you can attest that you spent hours and hours and hours and days reading through this book over the course of your life, and it was never anything to you. You know, you were accumulating information, but you, you, you read it, you scoffed at it. You read it, you doubted at it. You read it, it didn't, it, there was nothing here for you, but then one day, the, God blessed you with His Spirit, and suddenly it came to life. And for some of you, maybe that's never yet happened. And so you look at this book, and you're like, I cannot believe that there are 100 people sitting in a room right now listening to a sermon from this book. What are we doing? It's spiritually discerned. And apart from the Spirit of God, it won't make sense. It won't. But as the Spirit of God brings it to life, oh, there is nothing like it. We cannot see what we are meant to see apart from the Holy Spirit. We cannot live how we are meant to live apart from the Holy Spirit. In and of ourselves, in our strength, we do not have the power to believe. We do not have the power to obey. We do not have the power to understand, the power to change, the power for world mission. We have no power in and of ourselves. It's very important, church, that we understand this. No power in and of ourselves. However, what we find in these opening five verses is that God has, has put a solution in place for our problem of powerlessness. Look with me at verses 4 to 5 again. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. A few verses later in verse 8, you can skim ahead. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The outpouring of this power, the fulfillment of this promise, is what we're going to find in Acts chapter 2. Pentecost. The day when God powerfully fulfilled His promise and equipped His saints with His Spirit. That, that is amazing, and everything inside of me wants to just jump ahead and tell you everything that I, I'm excited about there, but I, I'm going to reserve that, because we're going to get there. We're going to get there. Today I want to zoom in on this idea of the, the promise. This anticipation. That Luke, again, Luke's building a bridge. This is transitional. Luke wants us to understand what's about to happen. Points us back to John the Baptist. Marianne, again, I'm going to go off my slides for a moment. Please bear with me. But I, so one of the things I did, because again, I've struggled so much this week. And so yesterday as I was, I've already got this sermon in here. And I thought, Lord, I just still feel, ah. I thought I'm going to go. And I'm just going to read through the Gospel of Luke. I'm going to sit down and just read through the whole Gospel of Luke. 
so that I've got this fresh in my heart and in my mind. Because again, it's written as a unit. We're looking at verses 1 to 5, but this came right after this. So I thought, I'm going to do that. And by the way, you should, I would encourage you to do that. It was a really powerful time for me. It probably took like an hour and a half to two hours. Long enough for me to get a really mean sunburn uh, here. But uh, it was really special. And as I was working through the Gospel of Luke, one of the things that struck me was his, his emphasis in the opening chapters on two themes. The theme of, of John the Baptist and his anticipation. And the theme of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, that phrase is used and referred to a number of times in the opening chapter. And then silence. No talk of the Holy Spirit until we get to the ascension. I want you to see this with me. So I'm going to go off my notes for a second. And if you've got your Bible open to Luke, track with me. Luke chapter 1. I just want to take you on a little journey here and see this theme. And again, the theme is its promise, its anticipation. Luke wants us to see that this was always part of God's plan. So if you're in Luke chapter 1, we look at verse 41. So here he's, he's devoting all of chapter 1, essentially. Almost all of chapter 1, he's devoting to talk about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the last Old Testament prophet. Which is interesting, you know, because you find him in the New Testament. But he was the last prophet before Jesus pointing forward in anticipation for the one who was to come. And so we hear a lot about John the Baptist and we know that he is significant. And then in verse 41 of chapter 1, we, we hear about John the Baptist's mom. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so now the Holy Spirit has filled John the Baptist's mom. Well, we look ahead to... Verse 67, and we meet John the Baptist's father. It says, and his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he prophesied. We flip ahead to verse 80. And we see John the Baptist, now grown. And the child grew and became strong in the Spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Now we flip ahead to chapter 2. And in chapter 2, we meet a man who's prophesying. Simeon, prophesying in the temple. Verse 25 of chapter 2. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. So here we see the Holy Spirit directing, moving, shaping. There's this, it's like a, the focus is being zoomed in on someone here. We flip ahead to chapter 3. And this is a very familiar passage for you. Verse 16. John the Baptist now is full-fledged in his ministry. And he says, I baptize you with water. Right? Crowds are coming to him. Crowds are flocking to John the Baptist. He says, I'm baptizing you with water. That's all I'm doing. But he who is mightier than I is coming. And here's this anticipation. He's coming. The strap of his sandals, I'm not even worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John the Baptist, he's not making this up in his mind. John the Baptist understands the Scriptures. We're going to look at them in a moment. He understands the promises of old, and he says those promises are about to land. Right? The Holy Spirit is revving up. The Holy Spirit is working and moving and setting us up to recognize the Messiah who is going to bring the promise of power for His people. Verse 21 of chapter 3. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. 
And here we find our Messiah now, anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 4, verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. So now the Holy Spirit's directing Jesus in his ministry. And then I'm going to end here, verse 18 of chapter 4. Jesus now is is in his ministry. He's operating. He goes into Nazareth. He walks into the temple. He rolls open the scroll to Isaiah 61. And he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant. And he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And Luke here in his open, and now and then he doesn't talk about the Holy Spirit at all until we come to the end of the gospel and the beginning of Acts, where there's this explosion. Luke is preparing us to see through John the Baptist's ministry that Jesus is coming and he is doing something. And you, I want to prepare you that you don't miss this when we get to it. To see this again, he wasn't making this up. John the Baptist was thinking of prophecies of old. One of them is Joel chapter two, a prophecy which said, and afterward, God says. I will pour out my Spirit on all people. This won't won't be a unique one-person thing. This won't be little pockets. This is going to be all people. All of my people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. And John the Baptist says, Hey, everybody, you're you're excited about me? All i got is water here for you. But one, who's come, one is coming, more powerful than I, I can't even undo his sandals. Who am I? And he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He's the one you've been waiting for. And that's, what, that's, what we're, that's what's happening here in these first five verses. Luke is positioning us to recognize what is about to happen in chapter 2. Because can I tell you something? Chapter 2 is crazy. Acts, Pentecost is crazy. It is. We're going to read it. So now you've been warned. We're going to get to it. Strange, miraculous, wonderful, powerful things happen. And he wants us to see what's happening. He wants us to see that this isn't some novel idea. This is the promise that has been long foretold. A thousand years before Jesus came, prophets were looking forward to this day. You're about to see it, church. I want you to understand it. We were powerless before Pentecost. But all of that has changed now. It changed for them. It has changed for us. If you're here today and you are a Christian, you possess the power of the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit indwells you if you're here and you're a Christian. God Himself indwells you. Galatians 4.6 Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Jesus said in John chapter 7, verses 37-39, to 39, If anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. Whoever believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Well, that sounds beautiful. What's he talking about? Verse 39. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. But what we're seeing here is that Jesus is now going to be glorified. And in Acts chapter 2, that promise is going to be kept And rivers of living water are going to be entrusted to every believer. Whoever believes in me, Jesus says, out of his heart will flow rivers 
of living water. Every child of God possesses the Spirit of God. But not every child of God lives like they believe this is true. Not every child of God understands this tremendous blessing, this tremendous gift that they've received. And when we don't see this, we try to do things in our own strength. Too many times we we do ministry in our churches and in our personal lives as if Pentecost never happened. And one of the primary lessons that we're going to learn as we work our way through the book of Acts is that apart from the Spirit of God, church, we can do nothing. Nothing. Which is why God promised us this gift. In his final moments before ascending to heaven, Jesus, he could have directed his disciples' attention to anything. He directed his, attention, his disciples' attention to this. As the church was being born, God was teaching us this lesson, that there is no church apart from the Holy Spirit. But praise God, we have the Spirit. The great preacher John Stott once said, before Christ sent church, the church into the world, he sent the Spirit into the church. The same order must be observed today. There's no Redeemer City Church without the power of the Holy Spirit. Apart from the Spirit of God, we can't pray. Prayers bounce off the ceiling apart from the Spirit of God. Apart from His help, sermons are just bad TED Talks. Apart from the help of the Holy you're laughing because some maybe you think that's exactly what they are. Hey, apart from the Holy Spirit, your family devotions are just frustrating time wasters. Apart from the help of the Holy Spirit, evangelism, discipleship, growth in holiness, world mission, they're all impossibilities. But church, hallelujah, we are not without help. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Our God is a promise keeper. And that's what Luke wants us to see here in these opening verses. He's a promise keeper. John the Baptist wanted us to see this. Don't miss it. Something is about to happen that changes everything. From ages past, He promised us that He would provide us with the power that we need. He promised that He would indwell us and work through us gloriously. Brothers and sisters, you have that power today. The Holy Spirit is working in our midst today. So let us not hinder Him. Let us not grieve Him. Let us not forget Him. Let us be ever being filled by the Spirit. And I cannot wait to see what God will do in this city by the power of His Word going forth and anointing of His Holy Spirit on His church. To that end, let's start this series and let's end our time this morning praying and asking for God's help. Oh great God, You are worthy of praise and honor and glory and adoration. Lord Jesus, you have given us, every man and woman, boy and girl in this room who is your follower, who is your disciple, you have given us an assignment to go, to go out to our neighbors, to go out onto our streets, to go into the world, to go with this glorious message of life. People are perishing all around us. And they don't need to be perishing all around us because there is a a Savior who has come that they can live forever. There are people who are lost in sin, who are dead in sin. In this room, there are people who do not see Your glory. And You love them. And You have called us and commissioned us to go. And You've sent us with help. And Lord, in 
and I just confess that so often, I confess on behalf of myself and on behalf of our church that so often we lose sight of the power that you've entrusted to us. Lord Jesus, we forget that you are with us to the end of the age. You're with us. When we go and we knock on the neighbor's door, you're with us. When we open the Bible around the table and teach our children, you're with us. When we gather in this place to hear from your word, you're with us. As we go forth, Lord, in mission, you're with us. And we don't need to fear. We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be looking at our own strengths or our own inadequacies. We just need to look to you. You've given us all that we need. And I pray, oh God, I pray, I ask that you would help us to see what we are meant to see. Help us to see you with us. Help us to see your power. I pray that you would help us to be ever being filled with your spirit. I thank you for the gift that you've given to us. But I pray that increasingly more and more we would just see you at work in our midst by the power of your spirit. I pray that the things that we do, Lord, our sinful attitudes, our quarreling, our bickering, our, our fear, Lord, our faithlessness, all the things that would hinder the work of your spirit in our midst, Oh, I pray against it in Jesus' name. I pray that we would be resolved to grow day by day, looking to you, holding fast to you, removing every obstacle that might be in the way, that you would work powerfully in our midst. And I ask for all of these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Worship team, would you lead us?